Wow, it's been a beautiful, wonderful day already. Great service, uh, great early service. And I'm so glad that you are here at Fellowship of Grace. First of all, I want to say a thank you to everybody who went with us yesterday to the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. Uh, we went there and spent a, a pretty good part of a day with them and uh, just took them some uh, sports equipment, some basketballs, footballs, those kind of things. If you remember, we took up an offering at Christmas time to, to build a, or to help build a basketball court for them. So we got to play on it yesterday, and that was really exciting just to see how your generosity turned into uh, reality for them. And uh, we just had a good time uh, playing some sports with them. And those are some young men that um, are in the system for some reason, and um, uh, they're all different. But uh, uh, it was just really good to go and just love on these guys for a day and just spend some time with them. Let them know that people love them, people are care, care about them, and people are giving to keep... Uh, Missouri Baptist Children's Home Open, and, and all those kinds of things. So thank you all that went. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank you. Uh, of course, you ought to thank yourselves. Uh, thank you for the new nice chairs you're sitting on. Those are nice, aren't they? I know that uh, there's going to be a lot more snoring going on during the sermon, uh, but uh, I understand that, and I, I, I get that. But uh, listen, though, that's only been possible because of your generous uh, giving, your faithfulness to the Lord. Um, this year, God has really blessed us. And we've been able to put a new roof on this building that we needed desperately. Uh, we were able to paint the entire interior. Uh, and now these new chairs, uh, all without taking any money, while, all while we're putting money into our savings. Uh, and that's uh, just a testament to your generosity, to your faithfulness. And by the way, uh, we don't give just to keep up this building. We sponsor over 5,000 missionaries all over the world uh, through the cooperative program, we sponsor individual missionaries. We are involved in ministry things here in Parkville and in the area, uh, things like the Missouri Baptist Children's Home and other things. And uh, so this church's generosity is just amazing. And I'm glad that you get to sit on your generosity today and just get a, get a little bit of a, 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 a taste of that, you know, yourselves. So, hey, you know, we're, we're uh, in this series, uh, Seeing Things God's Way. We just started last week, and last week we started with Seeing Love. God's way. And if you missed that, you can go to the website www.fogkc. Fog stands for Fellowship of Grace, kc.com, and you can hear that sermon. All the previous sermons are on there. Uh, today we're going to be talking about seeing relationships God's way. Now you might think those are similar, uh, and they are probably related love and relationships. Uh, and I think probably when we hear the word relationship, we think immediately of just a husband and wife relationship. But we're involved in all kinds of relationships that we're going to talk about today. And, and what we're going to see is kind of a, a bullet point list of some very important uh, principles about relationships. Uh, it was really interesting. I was looking for a really good, exciting, uh, hilarious joke like always um, uh, that wasn't negative about relationships. And man, they're just, they're just all negative. I mean, everything that jokes about relationships just seems to be negative. In fact, uh, there's a, I don't know if you ever watch uh, America's Got Talent, but I like that show. It's kind of a variety show. And there was a guy on there, uh, I can't remember his first name, his last name was Veter, and he's a, he's a real dry comedian, and he said, uh, uh, he was in the finals this week, and he said, uh, you know, I'm in a, a long-distance relationship now, uh, I have to stay 100 yards away from her. And I thought, that's, that's just typical of the kind of joke there is about relationships. But listen, I want you to, to know that relationships are very important. Uh, in fact, I would say, uh, some people say that, that relationships are really what life is all about. And if you think about it, it's kind of true because at the end of our lives, uh, when we are either laying at the front of a funeral home or if we're laying at the front of this building here, really the only thing that matters at that point are the relationships we've had, the relationship with God, the relationship with others, and the legacy we leave behind. 
all the stuff that we spend the majority of our time working for and working on and, and doing and all that kind of stuff. And listen, guys, I know we got to live and all that kind of thing. I get it. Uh, but we really spend a lot of our time and effort and energy on things that don't matter. And so our relationships are something that matters. And so we're going to talk about those today. Before we get into the relationship part, though, uh, I want to go through our uh, kind of series verse. We've never done this before for a series, but I thought this uh, was a great verse for this series. This comes from Proverbs 16.25. This is what it says. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, what does that mean? What it basically says is, hey, there's a way that seems right. There's a way that, that logically people will go, well, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like it should work. That, that makes sense to me. I get that. that. That just sounds like the right thing. But if you grab that idea and you take it to its fullness, it leads to death. It leads to separation between us and God, and it leads to separation between us and others. And the reality is, folks, as human beings, we have a tendency to, to view things a lot of wrong ways. And so it's important that we, we look at this, this series and say, well, wait a minute, God's view is more important than my view. I showed you a, a series of pictures last week about your perspective and how our perspective is so important. And, and so if we don't have the right perspective, we're going to come to the wrong conclusions. I want us to all just say this together. By the way, you guys did really great last week. Derek and I talked about how you guys were just like the best like reading church we've ever heard before. So we want to do this every week during this series. But let's read Proverbs 16.25 together. Ready? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Hopefully if we do that every week for the next three weeks, you guys will have that memorized. But here's the bottom line. The way that we see things leads to our conclusions about life. In other words, our perspective about things. Uh, our perspective can be uh, uh, partly our experience, partly our culture, partly uh, the people that were around, our peers. It can be a lot of different uh, aspects that come into our view of things. But at the end of the day, it's most important to have the right conclusions about life. And the only way we can have the right conclusions about life is to start off with the right viewpoint. And that comes from God. As I began to put this uh, sermon together, I kept going back to Colossians chapter 3. And if 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, you know, if you want to uh, preach about love or talk about love, you go to 1 Corinthians 13. But if we want to talk about relationships, really Colossians chapter 3 is kind of like the relationship chapter. It doesn't go into depth uh, to too many things, uh, but it does kind of bullet point relationships. And so as we go through this today and you hear something, you're like, well, I'd like to hear more about that. Listen, there's, there's hundreds of Bible verses about probably every one of these topics. Uh, but here in this one chapter, they're all kind of put together. So let's go through it. Chapter 3 of Colossians. And let's start with this. First thing we see is this. Set our mind on God rather than the world. Set your mind on God rather than the world. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We see here that God created the idea of relationships. Uh, if you think back to um, the book of Genesis, and if you remember God created Adam, 
And then if you remember, every time God created something, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he created man. And he said, hmm, there's something not quite right about this. There's something not good about this. What is it? And he said, it's not good that man is alone. Now, if you think about it, man wasn't really alone. God was there and man was there. And so you have God and, and man in this relationship going on. But even in that, he said, I've created this human being and there's something not quite complete about it. It's not good for him to be alone, even with just me. And so he created a helper for Adam, Eve. What this passage is saying here is this. We need to set our minds on God rather than the world. God has created relationships. He understands how they work. He's the one that puts together kind of the the roadmap of how we should do them. And our relationships can't reach their ultimate potential until we know Christ. That's what that passage is saying. Saying, look, put your mind on things eternal. Put your mind on, set your mind on things above, not on things on this planet. If our minds are set and, and just secured on things here, then we're going to live our whole lives for something that's, that's just temporal. And when we die, all those things will be gone. But he's saying, no, no, no. Set your mind on God rather than the world. Think like Jesus in your relationships. Great relationship, relationships start with the right mindset. And that's why he says, set your mind. Set your mind on this. Just focus it on this. Focus your mind on the things of eternal value, not the things of this world. You know, the world says, set your mind on yourself. Do what pleases you. Do what fulfills you. Do what you want to do. But God says, no, set your mind on me. He's saying that. Set your mind on me. Because if we set our mind on God rather than the world, we have a completely different perspective about relationships. Next, we see that we should repent from worldly sin. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says to actually put these things to death. He's saying, look, guys, kill these things in your life. These are relationship destroyers. Kill them in your life. Put them to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion to do the wrong thing, evil desires, covetousness, uh, wanting what others have. He said all these things at the heart of themselves are idolatry. We're choosing to worship ourselves or something else rather than God. And that is idolatry. The world says, hey, you know, if it makes you feel good, it must be right. How, how can this be wrong when it makes me feel so good? How, how can this be bad if, if I enjoy it so much? But God says, no, no, no. Worship me, not yourself. Folks, the Bible is very clear. Sin is fun for a season. It's enjoyable. It appeals to our flesh. But in the end, God says those things will hurt your relationships. They will kill your relationships if you don't kill those things in you. And the only way we can do that is through a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Next, He says, this sinfulness 
should remain in our past. Look at verses 7 through 10. He says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, if you look very carefully, most of these things in this list, uh, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, come out of our mouths. He says these should remain in the past. Anger. Okay, you could, you could punch somebody out of anger. But most of, for most of us, anger doesn't come out in our fists. It comes out in our mouths. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and gossip, obscene talk, telling lies. He's saying, guys, I understand this was in your past, but you've put on a new self. Uh, the picture here is to, to take off this code of humanness with all of our sinfulness and lay it down over here and pick up this new coat of Jesus and righteousness and putting it on so that it characterizes who we are. It says, after putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator... What he's saying there is this, folks. The more you know God, not the more you know about God, but the more you know God, the less your mouth will be out of control. Hmm. There's a correlation there. He's saying, look, guys, the more you embrace God, the more you embrace this relationship, the more you give Him control, the less your mouth will be out of control. Now, the world says, nobody tells me what I can say. You can say what I want to. I'm an American. I got a First Amendment right to say whatever I want to say, right? But God says, folks, stop speaking evil. Stop letting evil things come out of your mouths. Then we see that there is no distinction at the foot of the cross. Verse 11 says this. says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, if you read this uh, verse out of context, it would mean one thing. If you read, read it in context of this passage, though, it's talking about relationships. And what it's saying is, guys, at the foot of the cross, there is total equality. Total and complete equality. For Christians... All of the forms of legitimate discrimination should be killed. Everyone is welcome to receive the forgiveness of sin and a new life in Christ. Everyone. No one has been too bad. No one is too far from God. Nobody has been too bad too long. Now the world says we should kind of stick to our own. We should be around people like us, right? I mean, our humanness uh, craves, and whether you are ready to admit this or not, our humanness craves people like us. So I have a bent toward uh, uh, middle-class, white, pudgy guys who still have their hair. Okay? Uh, that's who I'm most uh, attracted. I mean, we're just attracted to people who are like us. In fact, uh, most uh, uh, people who, who hire 
employees, if they don't understand this principle, what you'll see is uh, they'll hire people that are just like them. And they'll have a whole department full of people just like them. It's not because they choose to or they mean to. It's because it's a part of our human sinfulness that we are attracted to people like us because we love us. Why wouldn't I love somebody just like me? But God says, wait a minute. When it comes to relationships, and especially Christians, there's, there's no Jew or Greek. We've been going through the book of Acts. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no, there's no race. There's no color. There's no creed. There's, no, there's none of that at the foot of the cross. There's no sin that's too bad. There's no past that's too evil. The world says, I want to accept those just like me. But God says, accept everyone. Everyone who is willing to come here and receive Christ as their Savior and turn from their sins can be a part of this body. I don't care what side of the tracks they come from. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what part of town they're from. I don't care how much money they make. None of that stuff matters. Not at the foot of the cross. We see then that this passage tells us to put on Christ-likeness in our relationships. Look at verses 12 through 15. It's not just taking off that sinful stuff, but put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He says, look, don't just, don't just put away the sinfulness, but put on Christ's likeness. Have compassionate hearts. Have kindness, humility, meekness, patience, offering forgiveness to others. Let peace rule in your hearts. Now, folks, when he says to offer forgiveness, he doesn't just make a passing comment about forgiveness. He says, because look, you've been forgiven. Why can't you forgive others? I've been on this planet for 53 years, and if there was a way to write out a list of everything that I've ever done to displease God, it would be a very, very, very long list. And God has forgiven me for that. Nobody on this planet has offended me as much as I have offended him. Think about that. Nobody on this planet has offended you more than you have offended God. And yet he forgives us. Who are we? Who are we to not forgive others? I've heard people say, I will never forgive them for that. I will, I will never forgive them. I have had people in counseling, in marital counseling, say, this person did this to me, my husband did this to me, and I will never forgive him for that. And, and you know me, I'm not the best at mercy. I look them square in the eye, and I say, you have just given up the jo your joy for the rest of your life. Folks, unforgiveness doesn't hurt the people we're unforgiving it hurts us, and it hurts God. I want to encourage you today, if you're sitting here 
with somebody else's list on your mind, I want you just to forgive them today. Just forgive them. After all, God has forgiven you of much, much more. God says to forgive. And then he says, control your hearts by allowing peace to rule. He says love kind of keeps these things all together. The the idea is like a, a group of blocks with rubber bands around it. Love just holds it all together. And if we'll do that, peace will rule in our hearts. I want peace in my heart, don't you? That's the way to do it. Be kind, be loving to others, and forgive them. Next, he says, let God's word dictate our relationships. Let God's word dictate them. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Folks, when you let the Word of God dwell in you richly, deeply, in an important fashion, thankfulness is what comes out. You know, the world says, everybody owes me something. You know, you you owe me, you owe to treat me a certain way. You owe to respond to me in a certain way. After all I've done for you, here's what you owe me. The government owes me this. The government owes me that. Uh, Those of you who have more owe me. Those of you who have less owe me this. God says, look, if we understand what we deserve, we'll we'll be pushed to thankfulness. Let me explain. There's really only one thing that we have earned there's really only one thing that we have deserved. If, if in the big picture of life, I get to the end and you could say, you know, there's one thing that Michael has really earned with everything. That's hell. Michael's sinfulness has him a trip to a place where he will be separated from God forever. That's what I have earned. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us much more. He has saved me. He has forgiven me. How do I respond to that outside of thankfulness? How can I respond to that out of just saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God's word needs to dictate our relationships. And in this passage, it says, whether in word or deed, whatever we do, do it for God's glory. Do it to honor him. And if we'll do that, our relationships will be different, both our relationship with him and our relationships with each other. Now, this passage is very interesting because now it turns to some very uh, distinct statements that are bullet points. We're going to kind of go through them pretty fast. And like I said, every one of these bullet points could be a sermon on its own. So if you want some more information, if you want to see some more passages, I'll be glad to to help you with that. Just uh, put a note on the back of your uh, connection card and I'll send you some stuff, okay? But let's look at them. First, Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, look what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, uh, let me just make sure that you understand what this means. First of all, it does not say women submit to men. It does not say as a matter of culture or as a matter of a collective. It does not say that women are some kind of second-class citizens to men. It is not saying that at all. 
It is saying, women, if you are married, there is only one man that you should submit to, and that is your husband. But, and I want to encourage you, if you're like, if the hair's standing up on the back of your neck and you're beginning to freak out and wondering how much longer this service is going to go, read chapter 5 of Ephesians this week. It'll give you some more detail. But listen, what it means is to be the respectful follower of your husband, not a doormat, not a maid service. You know, the world says, hey, you're a strong, independent woman. You shouldn't take that from anybody. You shouldn't listen to any man. You don't answer to any man, anywhere, anytime. But God says, submit to your husband because it's the right thing to do. And by the way, God's desire is to provide you a loving relationship that will fulfill you. Now, I want to make sure that you understand, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, wives submit to your husbands without this part. Husbands, love, love, love your wives. I put it three times in your notes because in Ephesians chapter 5, it says it three times. It means giving her preference in everything. Listen, I have watched thousands of hours of the food channel in preference to my wife. I never knew there were so many ways to make a hamburger. It was incredible. It's incredible. And it just keeps coming. But folks, there's a, there's a, a principle in Ephesians chapter 5 that talks about these two things. It's so important. In that, in that chapter, there's five commands. It says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Then it says, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. And then it says, wives, respect your husbands at the end. I think that's a process. Here's how I think the process works. Wives, if you will submit to your husbands up front, and then gentlemen, if you will love your wives, love your wives, love your wives, at the end, she will no longer have to submit to you out of obedience. She will lovingly follow you because of respect for you. The problem isn't that wives don't know how to submit. I think the real problem is our culture is men don't know how to be men, and they don't love their wives, love their wives, love their wives. And so when you hear that submit thing, you kind of freak out a little bit. Listen, uh, and you might, you might push back on this a little bit, but I think God has put something... Uh, he, uh, let me just tell you everything I know about women. Let's move on. Okay, but, but there is one thing, there is one thing that I truly, honestly believe, folks, and that's this. I think God has put it in the heart of a woman to be able to and want to follow a God-fearing, wife-loving, gentle, kind, loving man. The problem is, there's a lot of knuckleheads in our society. And we don't see that very often. The world says, hey guys, if you give preference to your wife, you're just a whipped pup. You're a sissy if you let some woman dictate your love and decisions. But God says, love your wives. Because the way you treat her should reflect how I treat the church. In fact, in Ephesians 5, he says we should love our wives enough to give ourselves up for her. As God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. A lot more about husbands and wives, but we have to move on. Next, 
Oh, let me just point out one thing. I didn't read the scripture there. I got too excited about talking about husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. By the way, guys, uh, it means don't be harsh with them ever for any reason. Even when you're disagreeing with them, you can be loving and kind and say, uh, honey, I'm sorry, I disagree with you. And I've heard, I've heard you. We've prayed together. Uh, I've listened. I think we still ought to go this direction. But you can do that without being harsh and rude. But too many men have this uh, uh, television, Hollywood view of, of manhood that to talk and get, uh, get your point across, you have to yell and scream and have a you know, conniption fit, as my mom used to say. And it just, it's just not like that, okay? So husbands, love, love, love your wives. Next, children, obey your parents. Now, this is for children specifically still under their parents' rule. It's, it means that parents' rule ends with the establishment of an independent homestead. In other words, uh, in other passages, the Bible says to honor your parents. What's the difference? Well, while a child is living in the home of their parents, under their rule, under their uh, you know, uh, house and, and its authority, they should obey their parents. Once they leave that and set up their own home, and especially if they marry, they are no longer obligated to obey their parents. However, we are uh, responsible for the rest of our lives to honor our parents. And they are different. I no longer uh, call my mom and dad and ask them to tell me what to do. Uh, I don't obey them, but I can still honor them. The world says, hey, kids, just do what you want. Parents can't tell you what to do. In fact, the culture's starting to say that. Hey, you can, if your mom and dad tell you to do too much, you just call some government agency and they'll come over and tell them to cut that out. Quit treating you, mistreating you so bad. But God says, obey your parents. For it's, it's just the right thing to do. And by the way, if you'll honor your parents and obey your parents when they're in your home, God will bless your life. So children, obey your parents. I'm, I'm just moving too quick. See, there, there it is. I want you to know that the Bible really does say this. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Then it says, parents, discipline your children in love and respect. Look what it says here in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, this is interesting. If you're going to write one bullet point for parents, and if you're going to say, hey, hey, wrap up parenting in one bullet point, try to just uh, give some kind of a, you know, a, a bullet point for parents is one, one phrase, one statement. Why doesn't it say, hey, parents, make your kids happy? Hey, parents, make sure your kids always go to bed with everything they want. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children. And what that means is, look, you're going to discipline your children, or you should discipline your children. But don't discipline out of, them, out of anger or rage. Angry discipline will break your child's spirit. But see, we have a tendency sometimes to go, well, I'm not going to do this angry rage thing, so I'll swing the pendulum way over here and just kind of let them do what they want to do. We can't do that, folks. Now listen, uh, my, my parents were really good at this. Uh, I was about uh, five or six years old, went to the doctor. Um, the doctor noticed I had a handprint on my rear end. And uh, if you've heard anything about my childhood, that was a pretty common thing. Uh, I should have had it tattooed on there because it happened a lot. Probably happened on the way to the doctor's office. That's why I had a little red handprint on my rear end. Uh, but the doctor mentioned something to my parents, and he said, Hey, by the way, um, this is going to become a problem soon in our society. So I have a friend who does woodworking, and he makes paddles. And he handed my parents a card. And 
I wish I could remember who that doctor was. Mm, uh, and my parents called him, and they got a paddle that was about that long, about that wide, about that thick, and it had a handle on it about that long. And my mom was a bunter. My dad was a home run hitter. And my dad was pretty wise because what he did is he, he put that in the very, very back of his closet. And he put this big shoe tree in front of it and then some other stuff in front of it. And it took him three, four, five minutes to get to it. So when I missed my dad knew if I punish him right now in this moment, I may kill him. And I always get that, I don't know if you've ever seen that Bart Simpson thing where his dad holds his neck, you know. I think that's kind of what my dad felt, you know. Uh, but he put the paddle way back in the back, so it took him three or four minutes to get it. And by the time he did that, he calmed down, and he disciplined me out of love rather than disciplining me out of anger and frustration. He didn't break my spirit. There was a time when I grew to learn and appreciate what my parents had done for me. So if you discipline your children in love and respect, you can still uh, change their behavior, but still maintain the relationship with your children. It'll mold their minds and their hearts without breaking the relationship. In these last verses, while they talk very specifically about slavery, the principles, I think, apply to our employment. So let's look at it with that kind of context and look what it says here. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So what we see here is work for others with respect and hard work. Work hard as if Jesus was your employer. Don't you think we would work a little bit differently if when we got our paycheck... It said, you know, such and such money, such and such company, signed, Jesus Christ. I think we would work a little differently, wouldn't we? Now, we've all probably worked with people before where they they do the minimum. Uh, You know, some people say, hey, work as hard as you have to to keep your job. That's it. Kind of skate by with as little as possible. And then start working really hard about a couple of weeks before your review. But God says, hey, no, 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 no. Work as if you were working for me. In your work relationships, work, do everything you do as if you did it for me. Here's the bottom line, folks. God speaks an awful lot about relationships. He created them, so he knows how they work best. The world says, be directed by your feelings and your earthly thoughts and do whatever you want to do. You're you're an independent person. You can do what you want. But God says... Be directed by your decisions to follow my advice from my word with the power of my spirit in you. God's view of relationships will change the way we we do them. His view is that they should reflect him and his character. They're characterized by godliness rather than sinfulness. They're lived out with selflessness rather than selfishness. They honor him and they benefit us instead of dishonoring him and benefiting no one. It's important to see relationships God's way. It's important that we, that we see our relationship with both him and others the way God sees them because it's only then that we will value them. 
It's only then that we will see how important they really are. Folks, the reality is, every one of us will have a last day on this earth. I want my life to count for something, and I know you do too. And all the stuff that you earn, all the stuff that you buy, all the stuff that you have left in your house won't make a difference. The only thing that will make a difference is the legacy we leave behind in our relationships and the relationship we've had with God. I can tell you that I've been to uh, scores of funerals in my ministry. Not once has a child ever walked up to a casket and said, gee, I wish dad would have worked harder. Gee, I wish he would have bought me more stuff. But I've seen dozens of people walk up and say, I wish dad would have spent more time with us. I wish dad would have put his arms around me and hugged me. I wish dad would have been able to tell me he loved me. Guys, our relationships matter. And the only way we're going to get the right viewpoint is to get God's viewpoint. I would encourage you to do that. And by the way, if you remember how this passage started, that cannot happen outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you have made that decision, you don't know for sure if you have crossed the line of faith, putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to do it today. It's very, very, very simple, really. It's costly, but it's simple. It's just you uh, in your heart admitting to God that you're a sinner, asking Him to come into your life, realizing that you can't pay for your sinfulness, but that He has paid for it on the cross and saying, God, I accept the gift that you have given of your son Jesus on the cross to pay for my sins. I receive that gift, and I give you my life. That's the reason that Cash and Logan followed Jesus in baptism today, because they made that decision. Folks, nothing in the world is more important than that. So if you haven't done that, make that decision today. Check that box on the back of your a connection card that's right there in front of you and put it in that basket. We'll call you this week. We'll follow up with you this week. We'll help you this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that guides and leads us, for your spirit that teaches us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us in our relationships to always have your perspective. God, forgive me where I've failed you. Forgive me where I have been selfish instead of selfless. Uh, Forgive me where I have been thinking of myself rather than you and others. God, help us all to grow. Help us all to get better and be a better reflection of your son, Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.